it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hello, folks. Welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. We start with some breaking news today. Right now, actually, the U.S. military appears to be finally striking back at Iran for the fatal drone strike six days ago. This coming just hours after a heart-rendering, dignified transfer of the fallen patriotic American service heroes who gave their lives in defense of their country. Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, 46, Specialist Kennedy Layden Sanders, 24, and Specialist Brianna Alexandra Moffat, only 23 years old. For the very latest on all this, let's turn to Fox Business' Grady Trimble, live from Capitol Hill. Uh, Grady, what can you tell us about the bombing, first of all? Well, Larry, the Biden administration, from the Defense Department to White House officials to the president himself, have been signaling all week that a retaliatory strike or multiple strikes are coming. And now we can tell you, uh, according to our colleague Jen Griffin, those strikes are underway in the form of airstrikes in Syria from multiple platforms. In fact, there are reports of explosions on the ground in Syria right now. Of course, the details are still limited because... Uh, uh, these explosions just started. They started hours after that uh, dignified transfer that you mentioned uh, for the three service members who were uh, killed in Jordan as a result of uh, Iran-backed militant strikes just a few days ago, I believe on uh, Sunday it was. Uh, President Biden was joined by the First Lady as well as the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. And Austin is one of those people who said that when the U.S. strikes back in retaliation to these deaths, that it's going to strike back on multiple fronts. Our colleague Jen Griffin is reporting that that could happen in addition to Syria, which is happening right now uh, in Iraq as well. But some Republicans have said that the U.S. isn't hitting back hard enough and that it's time to turn the focus on uh, Iranian soil, which the president has resisted so far. But listen here to Senator Lindsey Graham talking about this. They're not going to stop until we hit Iran itself. I don't want to invade Iran, but I want them to stop killing Americans. And the only way that will happen is if you hit their oil infrastructure, which they care about, that's where they get their money, or start punishing some of their soldiers inside of Iran, the Revolutionary Guard. And because the White House had been signaling that this is going to happen, uh, Jen Griffin, our, our colleague at the Pentagon, also reports that Iran had time to move its soldiers away from possible targets. In fact, Senator Graham is responding and criticizing in real time this response, saying the lapse of time between those strikes in Jordan on U.S. troops last Sunday and uh, this attack now has limited the and lessened the impact of the deterrence of this strike. He has been saying for, uh, I believe, a month now, Larry, that the U.S. needs to hit on Iranian soil. And he says that these strikes that have begun in the last hour or so are just not enough, that the U.S. needs to hit Iran more directly. Larry? All right, Grady Trimble, we appreciate it. Um, we'll probably check in with you over the course of our show as events unfold. Thank you ever so much. You bet. All right. For more on this, let's bring in former lieutenant, retired lieutenant general Keith Kellogg. He's former national security advisor in the Trump administration. Now he is the head of the AFPI Center for American Security. Um, uh, general Kellogg, uh, Keith Kellogg, old friend, what do you make of this? What do we know about this exactly? Well, Larry, we're, thanks for having me. Look, we're just seeing the first stages of it. We know that there's going to be a campaign plan, several targets. But one thing's coming quite clear to me is we're not going downtown. We're not going into Iraq. Right. I'm sorry. We're not going to Iran or downtown Tehran or places like that. We're going to hit secondary and tertiary targets in, in, in Yemen or in Syria or in, in Iraq. And we're not going after the real target we should be going after, which is making a difference and reestablish deterrence, and that's into Iran. Look, historically speaking, you've got to make a big statement. We used to be pretty good at that. You know, and I'll give you a couple of good historical examples. 
You know, when Grant sent Sherman into the South, when he went to the sea in the Civil War, he burned the city of Atlanta. That would send a pretty good message. You know, when in World War II, we, did, we firebombed and destroyed the city of Dresden deliberately just to send a message. And then, of course, you look at the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which were pretty significant, but it prevented us from having to conduct an invasion into Japan. So history is replete with examples of going a little bit to the hard to the right, to extreme, to reset the conditions. We did it in the last administration, Larry, when we were with President Trump, when we did it with Soleimani. We did it with al-Baghdadi as well. When we sent TLAM Tomahawk land attack missiles into Syria after Bashar Assad used sarin nerve gas against the civilians, which crossed a red line that we had not said as a red line, but it was a human, a human red line we weren't going to tolerate. So you've got to do something like this. And if you don't do something like this, we're going to see more of the same. What if you're going to do if you're looking, if you're the Iranians right now, they're probably going, boy, we dodged a bullet on that one. They're not coming downtown at us. Yeah. Okay, we'll just keep funding these other organizations and let them keep shooting at Americans. I don't think we've solved anything by this except blowing up a lot of buildings, a lot of asphalt, and a lot of sand, and I don't think we've gone to the root cause you know, that a campaign plan should do, which is prevent and prevent them doing something further. You know, waiting six days gave, I mean, in a sense, will give these Iran-backed militias time to seek cover. In fact, some reports in the papers and elsewhere mm -hmm. are suggesting they went to Iran. But it doesn't look like we're going to touch Iran. I mean, Lindsey Graham is making very forceful criticism. We're trying to get him either on the phone or in person on the show. But the reality is we're not stinging Iran. Well, I mean, there's reports of explosions inside Syria. I presume they're air, uh, air bombings. I don't know that for a fact yet. We're getting information on the fly. But, yeah, uh, we can hit some militia, but the militias aren't the paymasters. The militias aren't yeah. the puppet masters. The militias are not the people running terrorism in the Middle East and around the world who hate America. You know, look, I'm not being cavalier about this. I've been involved in military operations before, and I've, you know, kind of put it on the line as well. I understand the risk involved. I understand when you put young men and women in harm's way, we're in the military. But when you look at a national security level, you are trying to do something. And what we are trying to do is establish deterrence, reestablish deterrence in the region, which we had. And until you do that, these attacks will continue and Americans and others will be at risk. So you've got to take that hard choice. Larry, you've been in the Situation Room. You know, you've seen presidential decision-making. Sometimes those decisions are hard. They rip at your gut, but you know it's right. And that's what has to be done. That is not being done right now. And that's a harsh assessment, but I believe it to be very, very true. We're basically whistling past the graveyard, and this is going to just going to continue, meaning the attacks by Iran and, and their uh, pro-supporting militias as well. I mean, the three young people who lost their lives after those militia attacks in Jordan, uh, today was the day they were transferred uh, at the, you know, in the Delaware uh, Air Force Base. You know, that breaks your heart. These are young people, two of them, two women, in fact, 23 years old and 24 years old. It breaks your heart. The gentleman, I believe, the sergeant, was 46-year-old, okay? That breaks my heart, too. These are patriots. They gave their lives, the ultimate sacrifice. You know, Keith, I got to tell you, uh, yes, I have been in the sit room. I've sat through war discussions and I've seen people pull the trigger and all. The fact remains, waiting six days, it sounds like we'll learn more about this, but it sounds like we gave time for these local Iranian-backed militias to seek cover. There's reports that they went to Iran. Why did they go to Iran? Because they know the United States is not going to bomb Iran. Why is the United States not going to bomb Iran? Because we're still running a policy of appeasement, not deterrence. Lindsey Graham is sure right about one thing, Keith. They should be bombing the oil fields. There's oil fields inside Iran, and there's also offshore oil. That's where the money is coming from. That's what we stopped. They should be reinstating the sanctions. You know, if you don't like war, how about economic sanctions? Mr. Trump had those going pretty well. They were down to only a few billion dollars of foreign exchange reserves. Anyway, I don't want to blather on. You're the general. Uh, but the reality is, what is it exactly that we did today? Why did we wait so long? And did we dishonor the lives of those young people uh, whose bodies were uh, transferred today? It, it breaks my heart, but it gets me angry at the same time, Keith. 
Yeah, you know, Larry, there's mechanics to this. Mechanics meaning the target folders have been established for a long time. Eric Carrillo down in Central Command, he commands that uh, area that is responsible for the Middle East. These target packages have been set for a long time. The delay is always decision-making, because they can launch mm -hmm. these aircraft, they can have the target plans in place, but it's the decision-making that she in the Situation Room, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, instead of making rapid decisions. You know, I, I actually went through some decision trees. You know, when we went after Soleimani, yeah. uh, after, after they had attacked our embassy, you know, that was a grand total of, of uh, four days. When we went after Baghdadi, it was two days. When we t we've taken various strikes throughout the area, it was always two to three days. Once you get in that four or five day window, it gives the uh, it gives the adversary time to make some adjustments that you don't want them to make. Mm -hmm. So that this falls right back on the Situation Room and back on the leadership, not on the military, because those forces have been ready for a long time. You just have to send them to give the signal to go. And, and execute the target packages, which are always in place, Larry. They just didn't come up with these. They've had them for a long time. Right. Just to be clear, it's a civilian decision. It's a commander-in-chief decision. It's a Biden decision, right? He says he made up his mind a couple of days ago. Why did he wait a couple of days after that? Uh, you're the general. I'm just saying... I don't know why we waited, but we'll wait. We have to see how events play out. We have to see the extent of this uh, air attack, if that's what it is. And we have to see exactly where it is occurring. Uh, maybe we're going to be wrong, and it will be uh, hitting inside Iran. I, there's a lot that we don't know. The uh, outbreaks just began as this show started on the air. General Keith Kellogg, thank you ever, ever so much. Uh, we may call on you again over the course of the show if you're still around. Thanks so much. All right, folks, we're going to move on. Thanks Let me that. just say, as reports come in, we will uh, use our own uh, great Fox reporters. Maybe we'll go back to Keith Kellogg. Maybe we'll go to other people and try to keep you uh, as well informed as we possibly can. Meanwhile, all right, on a different subject, we had a big blowout jobs report today and stock markets hit new record highs. So we're going to turn to that whole story. Let's uh, go around to our great uh, friend, Jerry Willis. Jerry, what can you tell us about that story? Hey, good news from the stock market. The rally continuing with the Dow and S&P 500 hitting fresh all-time highs. As you can see here, the Dow up 134 points here. Uh, this is uh, marking its ninth record this year alone. Very big numbers. S&P 500 also setting a fresh high. The Nasdaq up triple digits, as you can see. You can credit good earnings for stocks upside today. Meta and Amazon reporting blowout quarters uh, Meta announcing it will issue, get this, its first dividend ever. The stock rewarded by going up 20%. Now, that surprisingly strong jobs report you mentioned capped the market's move. Payroll expansion nearly doubling expectations. The gain, 353000 for January. And that raising even more questions about when the Federal Reserve might cut rates. The future market... Uh, pricing in a 72% chance of a rate cut in May. Will it happen? We'll have to wait and see. Not surprisingly, bond yields soaring uh, on the jobs data. The 10-year Treasury yield spiking above 4%. Back to you. All right, Jerry Wells, thank you uh, ever so much. So, all right, let me talk a little bit about that. We had a blowout jobs report, more than twice the consensus expectation. Now, I know many of my conservative friends are trying to drill holes in this report. But you know what, folks? It is what it is. It's a very strong report. Not every economic stat should be viewed through a political lens. I've been in this business a very long time, and sometimes you just have to throw away the ballot box and just recognize the numbers. They are what they are. This was a very strong report. 353,000 gain in non-farm payrolls, a very big number. Prior two months, revised up by 126,000, another big number. And the bottom line here is more Americans are working. And that is a good thing, no matter what your party registration is. Also a good thing, worker wages continue to improve. Average hourly earnings for production workers, a.k.a. middle-class, blue-collar folks, they're up 4.8%. Uh, over the past 12 months. And you know what? Their rate of productivity, that is output per hour, a very important economic efficiency and growth indicator. Well, productivity rose 2.7% last year. That's a good number. 
So the workforce is earning its pay hike. Plus, over the past three months, inflation-adjusted real wages increased by 4.5%. So typical working families got a nice real wage boost for a change. Unfortunately, over the duration of Joe Biden's presidency, real average earnings are still down 2.4%. That's the affordability crisis that I've been talking about so much. Not even a good jobs report in January can erase that affordability problem. Through December, which are the latest data, showed that real average weekly earnings have actually fallen almost 5% over the course of Mr. Biden's presidency. That's why the recent tip poll shows that 44% of Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck. It's the affordability crisis. January's very good jobs report does not erase the fact that food prices up over one-third, gasoline up nearly 30%, and the overall CPI up nearly 18%. A lot of big government Biden spending is behind all these numbers. Over the past year, for example, while nominal GDP is up $1.5 trillion, federal debt has increased $2.5 trillion. That is a lot of spending and borrowing. Last year's budget deficit was $2 trillion. This year is probably going to be over $2 trillion. So despite low unemployment and a resilient job market, the Bidens are still running a roughly 8% deficits to GDP number, which is unheard of in a peacetime recovery. Government spending in the new fiscal year is already up 8.5%. Now, there are some glitches in the January jobs report. For one... The Small Business Household Survey did decline 31,000 after falling 683,000 in December. That's not good. None of this job euphoria jives, by the way, with proliferating layoff reports. Challenger Gray, well, they report over 82,000 layoffs in January. Over 23,000 of that coming from the financial industry, another 16,000 from the tech sector, and over 6,000 from food producers. So... The good number is the good number, but we will see if it is sustainable throughout the year. Meanwhile, a word to Wall Street. The Fed may not cut interest rates again in my lifetime. And that is my riff. All right, folks, stay where you are. Please don't move an inch. We're going to talk more about this jobs report. We've got Breitbart's John Carney. We've got Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary. We've got former CB, uh, CBO director Dougie Holtz Eakin. We will also give you periodic reports on the uh, military activities of the U.S. retaliation against Iran and the Iranian-backed militias. As those reports come in, we will get it out to you right away. I'm Cudlow. Lots cooking. Please stay with us. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right. Welcome back, folks. We are continuing to monitor the retaliatory U.S. airstrikes in Syria. 
That's what the reports have. And those airstrikes have, in fact, begun. Um, we're going to report several times over the course of the show uh, with Grady Trimble and perhaps others uh, helping us out. But let's go back to the earlier business. Let's talk about today's job report and my riff and the likelihood the Fed may not cut interest rates again in my lifetime. We've got the great John Carney, Breitbart Economics and Finance Editor and author or co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. We have my old and dear friend, Douglas Holtz Egan. Doug Egan is a former president, a former director of the CBO and now president of the American Action Forum. And Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, chairman of O'Leary Ventures, author of Cold Hard Truth on Business, Money and Life, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, John, uh, you're the closest. I'm going to give you the first whack at this. Um, let's beat the street by twice. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just ask you this. Uh, I know, I'm not going to name names, I know a lot of people who are trying to shoot holes in this and shoot it down. Right. They are, shall we say, of the conservative persuasion. They are people who, I will say, do not wish Joe Biden to be reelected. I don't think they wish him harm. Right. They just don't want him reelected. Okay. But I looked at these numbers up and down, and I made some calls. And as far as these numbers go, which are always subject to revision, they look pretty real to me. What's your take? Yes, they're very real. If I take out all of the government jobs, just 36,000, yeah. if I take out all the government-adjacent jobs, so the social assistance, yeah. I come down to just to 217,000 jobs, Larry. That's a really good jobs report, even if you take out all of the, you know, maybe not yes. cyclically related jobs. My heart yearns for report. honest reporting at times yes. like that. And I'll be the first guy to say... Every forecasting model was wrong about last year. Federal Reserve, CBO, survey of professional forecasters, Cudlow, I was wrong. There was no major slowdown or recession. The economy is... Actually, this jobs number looks like it's picking up steam. It is picking up steam, and... What I think this means is not only is the March cut off the table, the May cut is off the table, maybe the June cut. If the <laughs> Fed doesn't cut by July, I don't think they cut at all until after the election. The November meeting starts the day after Election Day. Ah. They can cut then. They pushed it back a day. It's they, usually Tuesday, Wednesday. It's uh, Wednesday, Thursday in November. They may not have a reason to cut. I don't think they're going to cut at all. I want to go to my old friend, dear friend, Dougie Holtzikin, who was a distinguished CBO director and an honest one and has run an American action. And he's been a presidential <laughs> advisor and he knows a whole lot about this stuff. First of all, Douglas, great to see you. Second of all, what do you make Thank of you. these numbers? I mean, my take is I don't care what's your political persuasion. Sometimes the numbers are really the numbers. Yeah, the numbers are the numbers, and I was as, as surprised as anybody by these numbers. Um, I, I think the really important number is not the one in this report, but it's the one you mentioned. It's the productivity growth. Yeah. The productivity growth in 2023, second half especially, has come out of nowhere, and productivity growth gives you a great luxury. It allows you to have a Fed putting on a lot of restraint on demand and still have output grow without uh, giving up the disinflation. So everything broke the way of growth and disinflation in 2023. My caution is things don't usually break your way all the time. I mean, there's going to be some bad news in, in the next couple of months, and we should be prepared for that. And I think that's why the Fed's extremely cautious. They have an economy that could very well have some inflationary pressures come back, and they don't want to ease off too quickly. Well, I agree with that point. Um, and, you know, productivity, Doug, uh, I mean, you're an expert on a lot of stuff, but you also follow the regulatory scene. I mean, productivity, despite regulation, maybe it's AI, you know, quantum computing. I'm not sure. Kevin Hassett Look. thinks it has something to do with AI. And we all know that he's a terribly smart guy. But the point I'm making to you is the wage gains that are showing up in recent numbers, yeah. to an extent, Doug, are being earned by better productivity. Oh, there's no question about it. it, it you know. Uh, another guy who, with whom we don't always agree, uh, uh, you know, Krugman, yeah. has said famously, in the long run, productivity isn't everything, but it's almost everything. Yeah. And so, you know, that's actually the truth. Great productivity growth forgives a lot of sins. So right. that's what we got in 2023. Here's right. the last thing, Larry. Yeah. It's fueled the household spending. But the thing I'm worried about, business fixed investment, essentially flat, flat. in the second half of 2023. Yes. That can't persist. If that doesn't recover, we don't get the continued strength. The, the household sector comes down to earth. Yeah, well, with this, too, the risk is there's too much demand chasing too few goods because the business sector has been uh, dormant. You're yeah. exactly right. Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, um, 
I don't know. Why should the Fed cut interest rates? And it's interesting to me today, Kevin, the bond market sold off. Uh, the 10-year was up, whatever, 10 or 12 bips. I think it closed around 410, 412. Okay. But the stock market continues to rise. So, um, Kevin, how do you see it? Two things, Larry. Number one, why is this happening? And I'm speculating that it's the digitization of the American economy that occurred during the pandemic. Margin all across the board in S&P 500 companies and small business have improved about 2.5% because they've cut out the middlemen in distribution through direct-to-consumer models or direct B2B models. You see that everywhere. Whether you're looking at Nike or a business doing $500 million in sales anywhere in America. Number two, on the Fed issue, uh, this puts a nail in the coffin of anybody thinking they're going to cut rates in mm -hmm. May. You've got a 75% productivity there, or people bet betting that they'll, they'll cut rates. In fact, the market thinks there's three cuts, 25 bips each coming, right after the March, which is a zero probability of a cut. I don't see it. Um, I think the problem is... And it become you said it's not political, these numbers. It is going to be political. You're going to see the incumbent. The incumbent wants to talk about the economy, wants to talk about jobs, but never, ever do they want to be in a rising rate environment. They want the Fed to cut rates. Mm. So the pressure politically on, on, on the Fed cutting is going to be very high, particularly as you roll in to Q3, when it's magic to have a rate cut right before you're in the ballot booth. That's classic. It doesn't matter who's in the, in the, in the White House. It really doesn't matter. Well, I, I think that's going to be an issue. I, of course it's an issue, but my, my point was a simpler point, actually. And look, I've been doing this stuff, you know, on TV, radio, government, Wall Street for a long time. You know, one month doesn't make a political campaign. People get way too excited about it. And as yep. Doug Holtz-Eakin said, you've got a whole year to go, and it's very ne we don't know whether this is sustainable. We don't know whether inflation is going to snap back again, which is my... In fact, John Carney, you've written about the possibility. I mean, Jay Powell does worry that it would be like the 70s that the inflation rate snaps yeah. back again. That's right. I think there's a very good chance that we've gotten all of the goods disinflation is pretty much washed out of the economy. Everything you were going to get from maybe increasing uh, worker participation washed out of the economy. All we have left really is for unless we get more productivity, we will get more inflation. So we, if we keep growing productivity, which, by the way, nobody knows why it's happening as we were just exploring. No, never. And we don't know whether it can continue. So that's the big risk. That's what Jay Powell is afraid of. They don't want to raise. They don't want to cut and then have to come back and raise. So they are going to hold out. Right. I think Kevin O'Leary is absolutely right. No cut in May. No cut in June. Not in my lifetime. And they're not going to cut, cut again in my time. lifetime. Yes. It, we may actually, but seriously, <laughs> rates may be permanently higher. That's one of the things we may have to get used to. This yes. is like the 90s. It could right. be like the 90s. Wait. But I'll tell you what's not like the 90s. Doug Holtz-Eakin, the 90s, at least in the second term of Bill Clinton, with Newt yeah. Gingrich and the Republicans in the House, you and I are both around for all this stuff, we went into surplus. So I just want to raise this point. As a former director what, what's of the... What's that, Larry? What's uh, a surplus? Yeah, I know, a surplus. <laughs> You're a former CBO director. You're an honest CBO yeah. director. Doug, we are running $2 trillion deficits, as far as the eye can see. We are running deficits that are roughly 8% of GDP, as far as the eye can see, yep. in a peacetime economy with a 3.7% unemployment rate. I don't know how you get that. Whether you're left, right, or... How do you get that or sustain that? Hey, you don't sustain it. It's not sustainable, Larry. It's something's got to give. Uh, the other thing to point out is, you know, it's gotten worse while we're at full employment. That's completely irresponsible. I mean, you just do not expand the deficit of full employment. We've done that. And uh, this is the biggest headwind to better trend growth. Uh, when you borrow a ton of money, you're, you're competing with the private sector. Everyone knows that. But we're borrowing it to subsidize consumption, which is fundamentally anti-growth. So the structure of the budget is wrong. The financing of the budget is wrong. And we have a growth problem in the United States. Yeah, we just had a, a great fourth quarter. But in the 21st century, we're growing a percentage point slower per capita than we did in the 20th century. Right. And that costs you a lot of That's money. Right. It's cost everybody in the United States 20000 bucks a year so far, and it's getting bigger. Uh, last 20 seconds, Kevin O'Leary, you're an ace. What's your favorite investment? Favorite investment, 20 seconds. 
<laughs> it's stay long equities USD yeah. right now. Yeah. We have an amazing economy. Just one thing, Larry, that bill, I just read it, that they're trying to pass and ramp through is on its way to the Senate. Bad news for small business in there. Yeah. They're going to have the IRS auditing small business for a decade. They've got to change that. They got to change that. Well, you know what? They got to change a lot of things. And all I'll say to that one is working on it. <laughs> John Carney, Breitbart, thank you. Kevin O'Leary, as always, Mr. Wonderful. And uh, Dougie Holtz-Eakin, great to see you. All right, folks, we're going to switch gears again back to the major news story right now, the retaliatory strikes. Let's turn to our own Grady Trimble. Uh, Grady, you have some more info. We do, Larry. Airstrikes have begun in Syria and Iraq, according to our colleague Jennifer Griffin, inciting two U.S. defense officials. Griffin is reporting that these attacks are designed to target Iran-backed militants in those two areas, in Iraq and in Syria, uh, where those militant groups keep missiles, drones, and other equipment that they've been using to hit U.S. positions in the Middle East. Of course, this is a retaliatory, uh, retaliatory response by the White House, which it's been signaling all week after three service members were killed in Jordan on Sunday. Uh, they had their dignified transfer here in the U.S. today, and President Biden, along with the defense secretary, attended. You know, both of them, President Biden and Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, all week have been saying that this is going to be a multi-tiered response, that this campaign isn't just going to be a one and done, but to expect multiple uh, points of attack. And that's exactly what we're seeing play out right now. Uh, Jen Griffin says, don't be surprised if this retaliatory response lasts for days. Uh, but it's already receiving criticism, Larry, and that's because Republicans and general critics of the Biden administration and its military uh, response, they say that they waited too long, that this comes six days after the initial attack, that it gave Iran time to move their uh, military members out of areas that might be susceptible to attack. And in fact, Lindsey Graham says that unless the U.S. starts to attack Iranian soil, think their uh, oil infrastructure or members of the Revolutionary Guard or other personnel within the Iranian government, that they're not going to receive the message. That being said, the White House thinks this is enough to deter more attacks in the Middle East and to protect U.S. troops. As we said, the, they have been signaling for some time now, for several days, that these attacks were going to happen. So Grady, and now the airstrikes have begun in Iraq. And so, Syria Grady, the, the, there are multiple strikes over multiple days. We don't know if Iran is ruled out hitting Iran. We, we don't know that. I mean, I want to be, you know, fair and, and, um, and unbiased about this. You, it's, it's, it's possible. You're in Syria and Iraq. Uh, that's for the militias. We, we don't know what the Pentagon might have up its sleeve with respect to Iran. Fair enough, Larry. And they frankly don't want us to know. Yeah. No, um, that's, that's right. Why they, that's right. We, know, should, have, we shouldn't know. No, right. no, you're great. Right. Grady, hang out with us, please. You're doing great. Okay. I know this is hard. News on the fly. That's why <laughs> I love TV. Anyhow, Grady Trim will be right back. Now, we're going to uh, go to Congressman Claudia Tenney of New York, Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida, two of the most effective and famous House members. It's a pleasure to see you both. Claudia, uh, I'm not kidding. You're both really effective. Um, Claudia, start with you on the news. Uh, we're hitting Syria. We're hitting Iraq. What's your take? Well, I hate to agree with everyone, but the, these are late. Uh, they should have been done more decisively, as President Trump did. But, you know, it's the policy that President Biden has taken towards Iran to try to get back into the failed nuclear agreement, also to allow sanctions to be lifted on the Iranians so they could sell up to 80 to $90 billion worth of oil, mostly to China, by the way, so that they could continue to fuel the proxies, us with the Houthis, uh, with J Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah in uh, in Jordan and um, uh, Lebanon. So, you know, it's the policies that we're seeing uh, that, uh, that have caused this unrest in the Middle East. We had relative peace, as you know, under President Trump. We had the Abraham Accords. So we're on the cusp of adding a normalization agreement with Saudi Arabia to the to that and to when the when these strikes uh, occurred. Uh, by the, the attack on, uh, on October 7th. So uh, it is the policies, but I, I hope that they certainly have a lot more lethal 
uh, lethal response uh, prepared against Iran. But unfortunately, we put ourselves in such a bad position against Iran that yeah. uh, we need to really come back with which much more aggressive force. Byron, you know, to Claudia's point, let's say you don't want military involvement in Iran. Right? Whether I agree or disagree with that, let's just assume. But you could restore the economic sanctions, which they have essentially unbound. That's the problem here. And as Claudia said, that's where the money's come from. Or let me be blunt. They're selling oil to China. And it's coming to in the neighborhood of 50 or 60 billion dollars. And there are other issues on top of that that have given him a foreign exchange reserve position that's gone from about three or four billion uh, to 80 billion in just three years. In other words, there's a military issue, military solutions, Byron, but there's an economic solution. And it just doesn't look like they're going to do either. And that's what I find so troubling. What say you? Well, Larry, good to be back with you. I agree with everything that Claudia said. And Larry, I agree with your premise. The number one way to deal with the Iranians, if you don't want to step on their soil, is you have to cut them off economically. Yeah. Donald Trump had them cut off economically. He had them really having to scrap things together for that economy. And then they couldn't put money into these proxy fighters throughout the Middle East. That's what's causing so much of the problem. Um, these strikes should have occurred later that same day when our service members were killed. Yeah. And look, we got to be honest. Some of these targets are already understood by the Pentagon. The question wasn't, were we going to respond? The real question was, was Joe Biden going to get himself together and get focused on America's security in order to respond quickly and decisively? That is the core problem here. And the weakness that they've shown with respect to Iran has really empowered them in the region. The economic sanctions are critical if we're going to put them back in the box. Yes, sir. Couldn't agree more. Well, Claudia, I wanted, you know, the original booking here, I wanted you to talk about the Nobel Peace Prize. You're saying a friend of mine deserves a Nobel <laughs> Peace Prize. I know you're not going to give me an economics peace prize, but you're going to give Trump a peace prize. I think he deserves it. I agree. And I put that I nominated uh, Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize because of his work on the Abraham Accords. It's actually never has been such an effective uh, peace accord. And every other participant in peace accords in the past, whether it was Jimmy Carter and others, received a Nobel Peace Prize for this. Of course, they're not going to give it to Donald Trump, who richly deserves this. And I thought it should be it should be noted, as I meant, we had relative peace in the Middle East. We are on the way to prosperity. The normalization agreements created by the, uh, the Abraham Accords and the number of countries that wanted to get in there and get part of, be part of these accords is really groundbreaking. Instead of waiting for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to resolve itself, which everyone, including John Kerry, said was the only way to peace, Donald Trump took the novel approach. Let's try getting everybody else to relative peace, and then we can have some strength against the, against the problem, which is what's being was created by the PLO, funded by Iran, as Byron uh, accurately pointed out. All of this money that Iran is using and getting because of the lift in the economic sanctions, the elimination of the maximum pressure campaign, which was also part of uh, Trump's secret sauce in order to keep mm -hmm. peace in the Middle East. These people in the Middle East were seeing prosperity. And, and that is why, and it's a very short nomination, but that is why I think President Trump should be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize just for his work on the Abraham Accords alone. They were novel, they were unique, and they were a revolutionary. It really made a difference in the Middle East. And look where we are now. Yep. President yep. Biden reversed all of Trump's successful policies, and now here we are in a war. Byron, can I switch gears for one second? Um, 5,000 illegals a week, 8,000 illegals a week or a day or whatever just strikes me as a lousy deal. And I'm hoping that whatever legislative text may or may not come out this weekend, that that thing doesn't pass the House. Can you give us your take on this uh, so-called immigration bill? Well, Larry, look, what was released about a week or so ago about the headline number, you stated it, 5,000 a week, is just outrageous. That's 150,000 immigrants into the country a month. That's 1.8 million per year. I mean, where are you going to stick all these additional people? Denver, Colorado's overrun. Uh, 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 Boston, Massachusetts, overrun. Chicago, overrun. New York, you see the mess going on there, overrun. You can't put that much, much more people 
into the United States the way the Biden administration has done. It's a terrible deal. And I know our Republican Senate colleagues tried to negotiate in good faith. But when you see just the idiocy coming from the Democrats, you got to get up from the table, walk away and said, listen, just follow the House's lead and pass H.R. 2 because we're done with you, because you're not being serious. You cannot do 5,000 entrants a, 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 a day, Larry. Even Jay Johnson under Barack Obama said, if you do 1,000 a day, it's a crisis. Yeah. By the way, Jay Johnson's a pretty good guy. Can I just say that? I know him a little bit. Uh, I've always had good relations with him. He's a pretty smart guy. Um, some people who play for the other team can still be smart. It's not personal. Anyway, Claudia Tenney and uh, Byron Donald, you're both fabulous. Thank you ever so much. All right, we're going to just keep moving right along. We're fixing to get another report on the military interventions by the Biden administration, the retaliation in the Middle East. But before we do that, let's talk to Caroline Downey, National Review reporter. Let's talk to Joe Concha, Fox News contributor. Um, boy, there's a lot going on. Yeah. The bombing. Let's start. I want to get to the jobs report, which mm -hmm. was a shocker, too. And the economy does play a big role in the election, although one month is not make a thing. But um, what does this bombing do? Good or bad? Because this may be a double-edged sword. Well, I think lots of military experts have, you know, commented on this prior. And basically, the, you know, my summary is that Biden, every time that the U.S. forces in Syria and Iraq have been targeted or attacked, which is over 158 times, Biden's response has always been delayed and tit-for-tat. Mm. It's been a very calculated, strategic hit on infrastructure or property, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been disproportionate enough to really be deterring to the actual sponsor of this terrorism and militancy, which is Iran. So, you know, this, maybe it'll hit him where it hurts, but uh, I'm afraid that, you know, we've already waited too long, and Biden's already showed a lot of his cards, which Trump was the expert in uh, not doing that. There's a little bit of element of surprise to military operations. Yeah, boy, this was, right, this is the most advertised, not the specifics, but you could just see uh, these militias, these Iranian-type militias running to, to the motherland, which is Iran, Joe, which is kind of my problem. When you say hit them where it hurts, really, I, I'm not sure we're hitting them where it hurts. Right, exactly. Uh, the element of the of surprise was not here yeah. in, in this case. And we just seem to be the day late and dime short mm. administration. Mm. Remember what Joe Biden has been saying for months. Whenever he was asked the question, what are you going to do about Iran and its proxies using our U.S. servicemen and women and our ships as target practice in the Red Sea? He'd look at the camera and he'd say, don't. And that would be it. You're like, what does that mean? Don't. Right. I, I guess you're trying to be tough in this situation. The bottom line is that we lost Afghanistan and that horrible withdrawal, and that sent a message to the world that we were disorganized and not ready. We saw Ukraine get invaded by Russia when that did not happen during the Trump administration, and China has never been as aggressive in its posture towards Taiwan as we're seeing now. So these strikes are good, but they're a day late and about two weeks short. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, Caroline, the jobs number today was twice what the consensus expected. And the last six months, <clears throat> and I'm going to say this as a conservative, mm -hmm. and as you know, Joe Biden is not my favorite presidential candidate, I will say that as well. But the fact is, the facts are, the economy appears to be picking up steam, and the jobs report shows that again today. Now, is there political content in this? Does this remove an election year issue or what? Larry, like you said, we can celebrate good news as a country. However, as you said in your opening monologue, voters do not necessarily feel the effects of macroeconomic indicators. Yeah. They feel prices, and prices are still very high despite moderating mm -hmm. inflation. I mean, poverty skyrocketed in 2022. Real household incomes dropped by thousands of dollars, I believe, I believe between pre-pandemic levels under Trump and 2022. Credit card debt is still surging. So, I mean, the Biden administration may appeal to these abstractions, mm. but it doesn't hit home for most Americans. I love that. Uh, economics, the whole thing's an abstraction. What am I doing here? <laughs> Joe, what do you think? I mean, because it's, you know, I, I'll say this again. A lot of my conservative friends want to blow holes through this report, but this is sure. a good report. It's a good report. It's a solid report. And um, I would guess... If Joe Biden gets his act together, he can sell it on the road. Well, does it move the needle, however? Yeah, that's In terms the of the things that matter, 
Grocery prices are still up 25% over the past four years, and they continue to rise. Gas prices are up 30% since this president took office. These are things people feel because these are things that they buy on a daily basis. Electric bills, home heating bills still continue to rise. So you could talk about the unemployment rate still being below four, but that's what it was under President Trump until the COVID years. Mm -hmm. So when you say the economy is getting better, in terms of the things that people feel, they're not feeling it. Here's a Gallup poll, by the way. Two-thirds of voters, this is just from this week, say the economy is getting worse, not better. That's two-thirds. Yep. About two-thirds also say that, quote, high prices pose a severe or moderate financial hardship to them, unquote. Yep. So they could sell it as much as they like, but don't oversell it because people will say, no, 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 that's not what we're feeling here at home and not what we're seeing in our bank. I will say this. We've got to get out. Uh, you're wonderful to come today in a crowded news day, but I'll say this. If these good, quote-unquote, economic numbers continue uh, through the spring into the early summer, it's going to help Biden. If they don't, it won't. It's just, people will make up their mind ahead of time. We'll see if it's sustainable or not. Caroline Downey, National Review, your boss was here yesterday, my dear friend Rich Lowry and Joe Concha. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a little pause, catch my breath. The latest on the airstrike campaign, we are going to go back to that. Iran-backed targets in Syria and Iraq. I don't know. I would love to see at least hit the oil, at least hit the oil fields, you know, at least restore the sanctions. I'm not a military guy, but that's my take. Anyway, we're going to bring back General Keith Kellogg, who is a distinguished military man, and we'll get some more reports from Grady Trimble, and we'll try to parse through all this stuff. I'm Kudlow. Please stick around with us. Much more happening. All right, welcome back. More breaking news on the U.S. retaliation against the Iranian-backed militias hitting Syria and Iraq. We're going to turn again to our own Grady Trimble. Grady, what you got? Well, Larry, U.S. Central Command is now confirming these airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. I want to get straight to a statement from CENTCOM because it does provide some pretty thorough details about what exactly U.S. forces hit. It says U.S. military forces struck more than 85 targets with numerous aircraft to include long-range bombers flown from the United States. The airstrikes employed more than 125 precision munitions, CENTCOM says. The facilities that were struck included command and control operations, centers, intelligence centers, rockets and missiles, and unmanned aerial vehicle or drone storages, as well as logistics and munitions supply chain facilities of militia groups and their IRGC or Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps sponsors who facilitated attacks against U.S. and coalition forces. CENTCOM says these airstrikes in Syria and Iraq started right around four o'clock this afternoon, just hours after that dignified transfer of the three service members who were killed in Jordan in those airstrikes there. Larry. All right, Grady Trimble, thank you ever so much. Uh, we bring back uh, former retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. I don't want to make him former retired general and very dear friend Keith Kellogg. Uh, Keith, so what, you know, we're hearing a lot, 85 targets, command and control centers, intel centers, locations uh, in Syria, and uh, Iraq, um, perhaps hitting Quds forces, uh, Ira Iranian uh, uh, Revolutionary Guards. You think we're inflicting, A, damage to these uh, local militias, or had they already fled, and B, will it be sufficient? Well, Larry, thanks for having me back again. Look, I'll answer the second one first. No, it's not going to be sufficient. You know, and I think I, I would caution everybody, this isn't a time when you rip your shirt off and beat your chest that this is really cool because it shouldn't be numbers. It should be what happens is the consequences from your attack. And look, what we've given the Iranians is a sanctuary. And I've been through a sanctuary war before, back in the years of Vietnam, when Cambodia was a sanctuary or North Vietnam was a sanctuary. You allow an opponent to have a sanctuary, he'll retreat, move back into there, and then respond later on. So I would, be, I would caution everybody, be very careful about understanding the amount of ordnance we've deployed and the number of targets hit. It's not what you do with volume. It's what you do with consequences. Mm -hmm. And is this going to react? So, so let's, just, let's just leap ahead, say, two weeks. What happens if nothing changes because of what has happened today? Now we are really in a box because we've beat our chest and we really hit them, we really hit them hard. 
and we didn't really go to the root cause, the root enemy, which happens to be Iran. And you hit it right. It just doesn't have to be kinetic, military. It can be economic. It can be diplomatic as well, and also kinetic thrown in. But it has to be a very comprehensive well, plan to get them to change behavior. Yeah, I mean, what That's if, you, what if you, you wake up? All right, you know, we're going to follow the news closely this evening, of course. But you wake up tomorrow morning and so forth, and you read the Houthis uh, hit more, sh more commercial ships or U.S. ships or fired more missiles at our bases or the Hezbollahs fired more missiles or the Hamas fired more missiles. I mean, I think it's almost inevitable that that's the case. And they're all feeding at the trough of Mother Iran. That's my issue here. Yeah, Larry. And again, it's it's a sanctuary. We're not going after root cause. We're hitting the the secondary and tertiary targets. And again, it's going to, the, the the true proof in the pudding is going to be two weeks down the line. You know, we haven't gone after their leadership. We haven't had them change direction or intend to change direction. We have to do it. And that's the reason I've said repeatedly. You and you've been there. You have to get uncomfortable with your actions because you know, boy, I'm right yeah. on the kind of ragged edge here. I know we're taking risks, not a gamble. But you're taking risks to do it. But you have to go there because we've allowed this to fester for so long. It's going to take much greater effort to bring everything and put it back to the box. And we're not there yet. And I don't have confidence we're going to get there. Not with the current path. Do you think they waited until today for the transfer of these, you know, great patriots who gave their lives, the Delaware transfer? Do you think they waited for the bombing uh, for those uh, transfers to occur? Yeah, and it's really kind of gets my gut when I hear that and see that. I think it is. I think they timed it so it was right after the transfer, mm. uh, the, the dignified transfer took place. That's wrong. And, and they're using it as optics, and that's yeah. wrong. Yeah. You know, this, these strikes could have occurred 24, 48 hours earlier. Larry, those target packages, they've been in place for a long time. You, you noodle them around a little bit mm. with current intel. You move a ship, you move an airplane, you move a person. But those packages were there. It just took presidential authority, that's who does it, to say, go. And he waited way too long. He, in fact, those aircraft, from what I understand, the B-1 bombers that took off came out of the United States. They lifted off this morning. They could have lifted off two days ago, three days ago. I don't know why. You know, I was going back and looking at way back Ronald Reagan's statement when he smashed the Iranian Navy back in 1988, uh, they hit an American frigate. The other thing is um, Trump made a strong statement with uh, uh, Soleimani. My point is Joe Biden hasn't said anything today. He just hasn't said anything. And it seems to me that's missing. It's almost that, that, that lack of noise is deafening. Last word. You know, great catch, Larry. You're absolutely right. Why is not the commander-in-chief, right. the person who set these troops right. in harm's way, in front right. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.